Well, I'm back. It has been quite a while. The last episode was published in November, and since then roughly seven months have passed. Mostly due to personal things and me not having a backlog of, of episodes. And surprisingly, that is quite an important thing to to have when you're doing a podcast, as I learned. So now I'm back and I currently have four full interviews recorded, which means that it's eight episodes for the next four months. And it should be a lot easier than to keep up the podcast and publish on a in a regular interval. So let's just jump right into the, the first episode. In the modern age, we have become quite the experts at designing and coming up with materials for specific purposes. Depending on what you would want to do, you can mix different compounds together and you get roughly the material you would want, besides some experimenting around that. And every now and then we come across a new material which we consider a new supermaterial. In the last century that was plastics. And by now, as you might have noticed, plastic is pretty much in everything and has gotten, has come to be quite a big problem. But then currently there is a new one which came out of a discovery in the 50s and then a Nobel Prize in, in this century actually, which is graphene. Graphene is a two-dimensional carbon-based material which somehow is more stable than steel and at the same time more conductive than copper. So you would want to mix that into different compounds, different materials to get better and more enhanced properties. Now that sounds great, but the problem is you would need to get to a level of producing it where it's economically feasible to replace current materials like silicium with it to get the proper benefits from it. You don't want to, to have something that works better but is much, much more expensive. And there's a lot of people working on that, obviously. And one of those people trying to solve all of this is Mamoun Taher, CEO of a startup called Gravmatec in Uppsala, which actually started during his postdoc at Uppsala University. And while he's trying to make graphene known and economically feasible to use, he took the time out of his calendar to dive into the details and cover the foundations of graphene. So graphene is a carbon material. And if we take a graphite, which we use in pencil tips, to be like a book in structure with too many pages glued together. So every single page in that book is graphene. And this is what makes the graphene very interesting properties because it's two-dimensional. It doesn't have the zeta dimension, so to speak. It has xy. Uh, and then when we have too many graphene flakes stacking together, so they are back to their origin, which is the graphite, the book. And why? Why is that interesting? You know, uh, graphene is the first uh, ever two-dimensional material uh, discovered and isolated, uh, 2004, by uh, professors at Manchester University, awarded Nobel Prize in 2010. And two-dimensional materials, they have very interesting properties. Specifically graphene, what makes it uh, even extra exciting is the combination of different properties in one single material. For example, it's very electrical conductive. It's more conductive than copper. It's very mechanically strong and stronger than steel. And it's flexible and it can be transparent. 
And this combination of uh, properties in a single material, this is what makes the graphene unique. Usually in material science, you don't find this combination all together in a single material. For example, you use copper for its conductivity, you use steel for its mechanical strength. But if you want to get something very conductive and very lightweight and still flexible, so then you get graphene. Uh, and this is what we call scientifically multifunctionality. And multifunctionality is super exciting for engineers to be able to build objects or products never possible before because of the limitation in material science. What would be such products? So, for example, I mean, uh, sensors, uh, as we are moving for digitalization, uh, we need to uh, have a lot of sensors and in integrated in different places. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, for example, in our clothes, so if you can make uh, sensors to be integrated in the textile, so that will help you to monitor, for example, the temperatures or the humidity and to control the, the conditions. And then again, it will be a lot of uh, Internet of Things devices where you need to collect data. And for all these applications, you will need sensors. And you need the sensors to be made in a way different from the what has been used so far. So, so far, sensors are like a standing components sitting somewhere. But if you can get it integrated, so then you don't see it, basically. So that, I believe, that will be the future, that we have sensors and we are collect collecting data and monitoring things in a smarter and more efficient way. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that graphene now is, is a very stable and extremely highly conductive material. Can you explain to some extent to why it is that way? So in uh, graphene, if we look at the graphene from uh, materials or from physics perspective, uh, so we have carbon atoms and these carbon atoms, they are bonded strongly together. So that's in theory, and this is what we call pristine graphene. However, in reality, uh, we should know that the graphene is a family of different degrades. So graphene can be, for example, pristine graphene, a single layer, defects free, or it can be graphene oxide, which is still a layer, but it has a lot of functional groups. Usually these functional groups, they are molecules with oxygen, carbon, nitrogen. And then it has also some defects. And this makes a material like a graphene oxide. It's still in the family of a graphene, but it's electrically insulating because of this chemistry change and because of the defects. Mm -hmm. And then we have reduced the graphene oxide, where we try to remove these functional groups and try to get it back to the conductive state. And then we have uh, graphene nanoplatelets, which is more like a graphitic structure, where we have a stack of few layers of a graphene and, and so on. So when we speak about a graphene, it's extremely important to distinguish which grade of a graphene are we talking about. And this, uh, this is extremely important for the industrialization of a graphene, because knowing the grade of a graphene will enable us to put the right expectations on the material uh, properties. Okay, so I, I never would come across in as graphene in its purest form, because uh, it, it, the strength comes from making some, some compound out of it with something else or... So there are different ways uh, to, to get uh, a performance out of a graphene. So either to have a graphene uh, as a coating or deposit on a substrate, okay? And then in that case, you might have a layer or a few layers of a graphene giving the functionality like sensing or protecting the surface or so. Uh, 
The other way, which is more uh, today is more at scale, so to speak, is using a graphene as an additive inside another material with the ambition to improve the properties of the base material. So for example, the graphene can be used as an additive to the, to the plastics. And what you get there, you get a plastic a graphene composite. It's because you have a base, a matrix material, and then you have a graphene as an additive inside the material. And then, of course, you can add it to metals and other, other uh, matrix materials. So here, uh, self-standing graphene flake. Uh, so it has some very interesting applications at the micro or nano scale in like sensing and these kind of things. But the large scale applications of a graphene today is mainly in the composites and in applications, for example, in coatings or inside the, even the cement or the asphalt. Mm -hmm. So there are many ways where you can uh, utilize the value of a graphene at the industrial scale. And how I do I get this graphene in some sort of uh, powder form and then just mix it while mixing in while it uh, makes the other material? Or absolutely, you can certain grades of a graphene. You get them in in the powder form, uh, but we have to. Uh, to remember that graphene has really low density. <laughs> and while you are trying to mix this low density powder with another material, so you face a lot of challenges because you are basically trying to mix material like air with something mm -hmm. else. Uh, <laughs> to get like air, uh, a low density material like air into a plastic, for example, uh, it's not a straightforward approach. So that's why Graphene itself, very interesting, what, but what is even more interesting, the industrial implementation of graphene in order to get it to the, to the products. So this, I believe, is super interesting, and we still have some way to go at the industrialization of graphene. Where are we currently in this, in this way to go? So uh, today, I mean, graphene has made, uh, compared to other nanomaterials, uh, if we take as a benchmark, uh, graphene made really great progress. Uh, today, we can see some uh, already uh, commercial products containing graphene, mainly in the uh, sport-related applications where the hype of graphene has been uh, utilized. So in the true industrial applications, there are few, but that they are not that many. So I believe today there are uh, production capacities of a graphene uh, already uh, hundreds or thousands of tons claimed mm -hmm. by some suppliers. So today there are uh, like a research level. So a lot of research has been done uh, or conducted related to graphene. So there has been a lot of strategic investments uh, from countries or continents related to uh, boosting the graphene research and take it closer to the industry. For example, here in Europe, uh, we have the graphene flagship. It's EU initiative uh, financing the graphene-related research and innovation with a lot of money across Europe to make Europe one of the leading continents when it comes to, to the graphene technology. So the same is happening in Asia and in the North American and so on. Uh, so investment made so far on graphene research and innovation, uh, I believe it's by far larger than any investments ever done to any other material. Is that a stupid question? Is it inflation adjusted or? <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, I would say that is uh, that is great. So once we feel that there is a material that can uh, uh, drastically change uh, the way we live, the way we transport things, the way we communicate, uh, that's a way to accelerate the adoption for a new innovation. So I think it's uh, something smart. Uh, and in the coming years, we will be able to see many products containing graphene and industrialization is really taking off. Mm-hmm. And those those grants handed out by by governments are they? I guess there's some specific agenda behind it, or is it just okay? There might be there's some potential across various fields that we just throw money on it. I think uh, such initiatives, of course, they have been uh, well designed, so to speak. Uh, so when you are investing in research and innovation, uh, you are investing in the future. And when you are considering investing in future, of course, you have to make your analysis and, I mean, to decide in which direction to go. But it has been proven that material science uh, is a way where you can uh, book your place in the future because development in materials is really leading the development of many other sectors. I mean, if we take telecommunications and all the progress we have seen in different generations of uh, like 4G, 5G, and even, I mean, beyond. So uh, that is thanks to materials. I mean, having, for example, electrical uh, conductors and thermal cooling cooling, uh, uh, materials with cooling capabilities. So uh, materials are really enablers for everything or every technology we are trying to accomplish. I mean, we won't be able, for example, to fly without having composites or to have uh, uh, aluminum alloys with high strengths, lightweight, uh, lightweight, and so on. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, now we know that graphene has those amazing properties of being extremely conductive and very stable and very just, is it rigid or is it just uh, stable in itself? So uh, it depends how we define stability. Uh, stability. Uh, stability, if we mean uh, chemical stability, uh, so it depends on the what grade of a graphene are we talking uh, about. But if we also talk about the thermal stability, it also depends really on the graphene grade. Some of the graphene grades, maybe they can withstand maximum temperature of uh, 300, 400 Celsius degrees. Other grades, they can make it up to maybe 1,000 plus degrees. Mm -hmm. And it also depends on the surrounding environment, okay? For example, I mean, heating a graphene up in air is different from heating up in in argon or in uh, uh, nitrogen atmospheres. We have also to consider the surrounding environment and the interaction graphene might have with the matrix material. For example, if graphene is inside a metal, and there is a tendency for uh, chemically reacting with the metal uh, elements, uh, for example, forming carbides. So then graphene will start to degrade. So all these kind of things and this understanding is extremely important to select the right uh, matrix, the right application, the right processing parameters in order to get the graphene to deliver on its uh, anticipated uh, 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 properties. So without knowing this, uh, so we might make wrong choices for graphene in environments where graphene is not able to uh, to deliver. Mm-hmm. How how would you produce it? Because the I know that in two thousand four, um, 
the way suggested in this paper that won the Nobel Prize from the two people in, was it Glasgow, I think? Uh, Manchester University. Manchester. The suggested method of producing it easily was to take a, a graphite block, like in a, in a pencil, and just uh, take this tape, put the tape on it, and then uh, rip the tape off. And then you get this little uh, slab of, of graphene, which I think... I did actually as well in my undergrad in a lab with a tunneling microscope. So okay. we looked at the, the graphene structure, which was very interesting. That you can see the, the single atoms. That doesn't seem to be a particularly viable solution for mass producing it. Um, otherwise, you would need a lot of sticky tape, I guess. No, absolutely not. Uh, so I, I can say that uh, So it has been done by the professors at Manchester University 2004 is to enlighten uh, to enlighten researchers and industries about the potential of graphene but that is i mean the the way they made the first uh, isolation of graphene is uh, i doubt it's industrial it's it's possible to industrialize or to scale so there are uh, different ways to manufacture graphene uh, at scale mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, one of the ways, uh, basically, there are two two main uh, routes, so to speak. So the first one is starting from graphite. And as I explained before, graphite is uh, a structure where you have a lot of graphene flakes stacking together. It's like the book. And yeah. then you do something called exfoliation. Exfoliation is really like removing like these layers and stabilizing them in a solution or something. But in order to do this, you have because you have to separate between the graphene flakes and the graphite. Mm -hmm. And it's a process called intercalation. So this intercalation, you have to put molecules to come between the flakes and then to expand them like popcorn. And then once you have done this, so you have to do like the exfoliation, like liquid phase exfoliation, where the, the flakes will be separated from each others, and then they will be suspended in a solution. So later you keep them in the solution, or you can dry uh, and collect the powder, which is uh, graphene-like uh, material. Mm -hmm. So that's one way. The other way is uh, by depositing a graphene on a substrate, and that is called usually chemical vapor deposition, CVD. So in that case, you start with a substrate uh, like copper is known to be a good substrate for that. And then you have gas molecules getting deposit and building the structure of a graphene on the substrate. So later you either you need to transfer this graphene flakes from the substrate into another substrate, or you have to dissolve the substrate and collect the uh, graphene uh, deposited on top of it. So these are the, the two main approach for manufacturing graphene today. And then there are many uh, beh behind each of these processes. You have to look at the source of the raw materials you are using. So in the first one, when you start with the graphite, mm -hmm. so uh, natural graphite is known to have interesting structure that you can make a graphene out of it. There is also synthetic graphite, but there is also a very interesting source that Graphmatic started uh, together with partners to look at is the graphite from recycled sources. And in that case, we take, we look at the waste stream where it contains the graphite, and we try to manufacture graphene from that waste stream. For example, in uh, lithium ion batteries, you have a lot of the graphite uh, for the anode side, 
And then when you are recycling a battery, what you get called a black mass. That black mass contains some graphite, and that graphite is a good source for making graphene out of it. So uh, while, while designing your manufacturing process, it's extremely important to consider sustainability aspects, sustainability of the raw materials and sustainability of the manufacturing steps, how much water, how much uh, chemicals and hazards you are introducing along the process until you get the final product. Mm-hmm. I mean, next is sustainability, I guess, for industry. An important part is also cost. So I, I wouldn't want to replace silicium, for example, in my chips with, with graphene because silicium is just like the the industrial pipeline for it. It's just much more available, so the price might be lower or not. Mm-hmm. Um, are there people... or How viable is it currently to, to start replacing it or is there more work to be done in, in lowering the cost or figuring out what to do with it and how to produce the, yeah. the objects then? Uh, so if graphene is going to replace existing material, uh, so usually the analysis is done like that at the industrial scale, so to speak. So of course you have to look at the manufacturing steps. Okay, Does the industry need to change the existing manufacturing lines? If they need to do modification or changes, so then they start to calculate the investment needed for that. So the best case scenario is to introduce graphene into the existing manufacturing lines without making any extra investments. So then you are good. Mm-hmm. Second question is, how easy is it to handle the graphene? Because graphene, as I said, in the powder form is quite fluffy. It's like really low density material. And the industry, they don't have the experience working with additives like this before. So that's why the graphene manufacturers or graphene companies like us, so we have to educate the industry how to make the implementation in a smart and safe way. And then the third question will come into mind, uh, the cost uh, relation and uh, the cost compared to the other additives. So if I am replacing additive A with additive B, I should be able to calculate the added benefits. And then, of course, number four is the sustainability aspect. If today I am using additives are uh, in large quantity, for example, uh, one of the uh, competitors for graphene uh, as additive into plastics is carbon black. And carbon black is really low uh, cost material, and it has been used for many years by the plastic industry. So if we are going to replace carbon black with graphene, we should not only look at the cost aspect, we should look at the sustainability aspect. Because to make a plastic conductive by adding carbon black, you need to add really a lot of carbon black inside the plastic. While graphene, because it's very large surface area, you need to add way less graphene to get way higher conductivity in the plastic. So then the sustainability in a case like graphene is way higher than the carbon black. Mm -hmm. So at the end, all these elements, they should be taken into considerations and in discussions between the different stakeholders, like the the graphene company together with the industrial company and the end user. So they have to make this calculation together to get it to work. So otherwise, if the technology is amazing by a startup (laughs) company, but the, the other stakeholders are not included in the calculation or in the equation, 
So uh, the equation is not going to work at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, just for clarification, carbon black was mostly in tires, if I remember correctly. So it, it's heavily used in the tire industry, absolutely, as a filler in, into the uh, rubber and, yep. and uh, plastics in the uh, tire industry. However, it's, it's used also in many other industries. Yeah. For example, which? So uh, it's used sometimes in, uh, in batteries uh, mm-hmm. as additive. Uh, it's used mainly as filler into, into plastics, so to speak. Okay. So the graphene is this, this monolayer of, of carbon atoms in this hexagonal structure. Um, shouldn't I be able to, well, not me personally, but people, to recycle that carbon from, I don't know, well, rubber tires that are flying around or plastic bottles that are everywhere? Is that a, a viable option or is it just... Uh... Absolutely. Making, making graphene from a waste stream or recyclable stream is absolutely uh, appealing. Uh, so there has been some uh, proof in different uh, research groups around the world that it is possible to manufacture a decent quality of graphene from a waste uh, source. And as I said, I mean, at Graphmatic, we uh, foresee having the source for our graphene manufacturing in the coming five years to be made from a recycled uh, recycled source. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking about Graphmatech, which like which compounds are you are you producing or are you aiming to produce? Uh, so a little about Graphmatech, we uh, started as a spin-off from Uppsala University in uh, 2017. Uh, I founded the company based on research I have been doing at Ungostrom uh, Laboratory in Uppsala. Uh, we have three main business areas at Graphmatic. So the first one is uh, polymer graphene composites, where we add the graphene inside the, uh, the polymers to make them uh, mechanically strong, electrically conductive, and as I said, I mean, for making the plastic industry more sustainable. So where you can dramatically reduce the need for additives like carbon black. So, and we work a lot with, for example, uh, products related to 3D printing. Uh, both in the filament and in the powder form. So there we are also focused on a very interesting property of a graphene related to gas barrier, uh, for example, in hydrogen tanks. Mm-hmm. When you are storing hydrogen is very challenging, but we have proven that if we put a graphene inside the liner uh, for the containers of hydrogen, they are usually thermoplastics, so we can improve the uh, storage uh, uh, lifetime uh, quite dramatically. So now we got a very interesting uh, project. We have some industrial uh, partnership ongoing. How we can like industrialize this this concept where graphene is making the storage of hydrogen uh, quite sustainable, mm-hmm. and then I mean instead of like losing the hydrogen from the tank quite quickly, you can have it uh, longer time. It's also very economically appealing solution. So, uh, and then in the other business unit, so now I talked about the polymers, the second one, we have uh, metal graphene composites. And there we are focused on a very interesting technology we developed and patented, uh, coating a graphene on the surface of metal, uh, metal powder. So, you know, uh, powder metallurgy uh, has a lot of applications, industrial applications. For example, 3D printing. When you make a component, a metal 3D printed, you start with a powder. 
in most of the cases. So we managed to get the graphene on the surface of every individual metal grain. And mm-hmm. then we solidify those. So what we get, we get a metal graphene composite. And here we improve two things. We improve the processability of the metal powder, like the flowability and the reflection of the laser beam and, and these kind of things. And then we improve the, uh, the properties of the end component, like increasing the thermal conductivity, the mechanical strengths, and the electrical conductivity. So the, uh, and here in the metal uh, business uh, area, we are very much focused on the electrification uh, applications. For example, making components to be lighter weight, to be more conductive, to be stronger. And what does this mean? It means we can utilize the metal resources, the limited resources we have on the earth uh, more efficiently and smarter we can dramatically reduce the need for metals. Instead of making very thick blocks of something, you mm-hmm. can use thinner, and then you are saving a lot of metals uh, by doing this, and then you are saving weight, and then by doing this, you are saving like the battery lifetime and, and so on. So here, what we are focused on the electrification applications. So the third business area is related to uh, energy storage. And here we are doing the same coating technology for metals presented before. Mm-hmm. We are doing it for uh, uh, energy storage, uh, energy uh, storage uh, particles or active materials, battery active materials. It can be sodium-based or lithium-based or nickel-based, where we are coating these particles as well with graphene to increase the conductivity, which means for the battery increased uh, uh, capacity uh, and inc- uh, being able to charge the batteries faster. But this one will take slightly longer time to hit uh, the market, I would say, as we uh, battery development or developing materials for batteries, usually it takes time, yep. longer time than developing a product for uh, plastic 3D printing and so on. Um, because you, you mentioned uh, that we're going to reduce the metal how well one of the current problems is that we have all this this waste flying around everywhere um the graphene because it's like is there a way to to get rid of it afterwards or how how recyclable is it does it just degrade by its own somehow or so uh, uh, recycling of a graphene it really depends uh how you are using a graphene if it is mixed with plastics so there are existing technologies where you can recycle the carbon-based additives, uh, for example, uh, recycling uh, carbon black-based materials or carbon nanotubes and so on. So recycling graphene from the plastics, so there is already existing technologies for uh, similar materials, so to speak. And the metals, uh, so it's completely different thing because there you have the melting points of the metals higher than that for the plastics if you are going to dissolve the materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, so recycling graphene is very interesting, but I can say uh, at the global scale, it's not yet very much explored as graphene is still at the mainly at the research and innovation phase, trying to find its way to the market. So yeah. what happens after the lifetime of the component containing graphene, it's not yet very much analyzed. Okay. But I think uh, we can see, and here at the Graphmatic, we started to look into this, we can see more activities are happening now. Mm-hmm. And it's ex- extremely important to know 
at the end of the life of a component containing graphene, how graphene will be recycled and put back, I mean, to a new uh, series of production. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in the end, it doesn't really help anyone to, to have a new wonder material like plastic and then just flies around everywhere. Exactly. Um, and this is what we, we are, uh, we are uh, thriving to, I mean, to support uh, the, and reduce the dependency on the version materials. Yep. So we would like, I mean, to see more use of recycled materials. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will come back in two weeks when Mamoun will tell us about how, about how he ended up founding Graphmatech to begin with. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to press subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It's essentially the best way to help out growing the show and I know that things are working. So if you want to hear more, the best way to support the show is by subscribing to the podcast.